0: The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.mscc.org.au. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Psalm 89 verse 34? Just recently on uh, social media, how many of you know social media now just gets you in touch with all that's going on all over the world, and um, one of the things that came up on social media was a comment made by Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry is uh, uh, a British actor and commentator, and runs his own program on uh, on television. And so he certainly is given a voice. And uh, but Stephen Fry is also an atheist. And so he was being interviewed by a commentator. And the commentator says to Stephen Fry, just suppose, just suppose it's all true. Just suppose that God does exist. It's all true. And you walk up to the pearly gates and are confronted by God. What would you say to him? And so this is what. Has got all the social commentators going at a million miles an hour because this is how Steve Fry replies to this question. He says, uh, I'd say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery? That is not our fault. That's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect? a capricious mean-minded stupid god who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain that's what i would say anyway it got the commentator just about falling over his seat he, falling out of his seat he wasn't expecting that reply and it got social media going at a million miles an hour and it got me thinking it got me thinking about people's god concepts Because Stephen Fry has a God concept. His God concept has pushed him over the edge to sort of say, if that is what God is like, I don't want to believe in him, and I just become an atheist. But my question for you is this, is where are you getting your God concepts Are you getting them from the media? Are you getting them from philosophy? Where are you getting your God? Who is shaping your God concept? Is it your own hurt? Are hurt people shaping your God concepts? Because I want to say to you today that there's only one place where you can get your God concepts, and that is from an accurate reading of God's Word. He's revealed himself through his word and he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. And if you do not have an accurate reading of God's word and an accurate understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never reach an accurate God concept. Your God concept will be like Stephen Fry's, not exactly precise and uh, and so his his inaccuracies are about the fact that god did not create a world with misery and you say well well if god created the world why do we have misery god created the world perfect what's clear in the bible is that god created a perfect world with no cancer with no pain with no suffering but he also created a world that has free will And with free will comes the choice of either doing good and doing bad. And so what we find is right at the beginning, man decided that they do their own thing, decided to rebel against God, decided to sin. And so evil came into the world through man's choices, not through God's choices. And so the misery that we have in the world today is not the doing of God, but the doing of man and the doing of sin. And so what we find is that God created a solution for that. And as we pursue the solution of that, we better understand God. And so tonight, today, what I want to do is help to shape your God concept. I want to help to shape a biblical worldview of what God is like. And so what I'm going to tell you today is five things that God can't do in order to help shape an accurate God concept in your heart. So you're ready for the five things that God can't do. You ready? First thing that God can't do is break a promise. God can't break a promise. In Psalm 89, verse 39, it says this, My covenant, my promise, I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. That word covenant literally means promise, contract. And so God has made promises to us, and what he can't do is break his promise. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word, not one word that I have spoken will pass away, not one word. So, so one of the things that you can grab hold on is God's promise. Now, can I just say to you that one of the frustrating things about God is that his timing is his timing and not necessarily our timing. How many of you have discovered that? So there's no guarantee that God will press immediate on his reply to what you're asking of. And many times God's answer is, you're going to have to wait for that. How many of you have already discovered that many times God says, you're going to have to wait for that? How many parents have you got here? How many parents do we have here? How many parents, every time your child asks for something, they get it immediately? Because huh? if you want to spoil your child, just do that. Give them whatever they ask for immediately. Most parents understand that... that that, yeah, if you do that, you're going to wreck your children. And so you say, no, you can have that, but you're going have to wait for it. You might have to wait until Christmas, or you might have to wait until your birthday, but you're going to have to wait for that. And so patience is taught, and other great attributes of human character are taught. And so God oftentimes teaches us human characteristics of great character as we're waiting for the promise to come to pass. But what happens with a lot of people is that they give up. Because they think that God will not come through. And so they give up and they become bitter. But I want you to understand today that God can't break a promise. That when God gives you a promise, he can't break it. So have you got something from God that is a promise that you're hanging on to? Because I've got promises that I've been hanging on to for ages. And, uh, and, and they still haven't come through. But I'm hanging on, believing. Anne and I have been praying for things now for, for, for many, many years. But we don't stop praying for it because it hasn't come through. Why? Because we believe that God can't break a promise. One of the promises I'm hanging on to is Isaiah 54 verse 13. Isaiah 54 verse 13 says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. So I'm believing every single one of my children are going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Not just my children, but my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, every single one of them. I'm going to hang on to that promise. It's God's word. God can't break a promise, and I'm hanging on to that. Anybody else hanging on to something? You know, let me tell you something. There are over 8,000 promises in the Bible. A guy called Herbert Lockyer wrote a book called All the Promises of the Bible. He also wrote another couple of books called All the Men of the Bible, All the Women of the Bible, and then he wrote All the Promises of the Bible. And and in this book, All the Promises of the Bible, he's he's listed over 8,000 promises that God has given us. How many of you know this, that not Any person in this auditorium has memorized the 8,000 promises of God. I doubt whether there's anybody watching on television that has memorized the 8,000 promises of God that are in the Bible. But they're there and they're available for you to hang on to. And you can hang on to them with the assurance that God cannot break a promise. And if you've got it in your heart, you'll get it. In your hand, but you can't get it in your hand unless you got it in your heart. Amen. Second thing that God can't do, He can't stop thinking about you. Isaiah forty-nine verses fifteen to sixteen says this: Can a woman forget her nursing child? And guess what? This week, two of the women in our church have now got nursing children. Ah, uh, how many of you? How many of you know Emilda? Uh, Stratford had a little baby girl called Sylvia, and Jess Castle had a little baby girl called River Anne. And so River was born yesterday, and Sylvia was born on Friday. So we got two little girls in our church this week. Isn't that good? Yeah, good? I think if you're going to applaud those ladies, now's a good time to applaud them. And so the word of God says, can a a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of a womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will never forget you. I will never forget you. And then the next verse says, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Wow. It's interesting. What's interesting? It's interesting doing a word study on inscribed. I'm going to say something really controversial here, and some of you are going to hate me for saying it. But the best English interpretation for inscribed is the word tattooed. Right now, some of you are saying, what, are you saying that God's got tattoos? No, I'm not saying physically he has I'm saying metaphysically metaphorically he's he's explained to us that he's tattooed our name on the palm of his hand how incredible is that how many of you know that when someone does that they tattoo someone that you know if I was going to get a tattoo I'd get mum right on my arm there wouldn't that be awesome but I'm not going to get mum makes me it'd make me look really tough wouldn't it Mum, it's not going to happen, folks. Let me tell you right now, it's not going to happen. Uh, so, uh, but but God, God has inscribed your name on the palm of His hand, so that you would know that He would never forget you, and that He's constantly thinking about you. Can I be honest? I love Anne, but I'm I'm not thinking of her all the time. I know that for some of you, that's a shock. I love, I love my kids. Steve's on the sound right there, but I'm not thinking of Steve all the time. I'm not thinking of Christelle or Daniel all the time. I think about them a lot. But the Bible says that God never stops thinking about me, ever. And then the psalmist in Psalm 139 verse 17 says, If I were to try to count how many thoughts God's got for me right now, they would outnumber the sand of the sea. How many of you have ever gone to the beach and tried to number the grains of sand? You know, Have you ever done that? I challenge you to try to do that. Because you will grow old before you're able to fulfill that goal. That's for sure. And the Bible says that that's the number of thoughts that God has got for me. When you were sleeping last night, God was thinking about you. When you woke up this morning, God was thinking about you. And one of the things that God can't do is stop thinking about you. And you say, well, what's he thinking about? This is what he's thinking about. How can I bless my child? How can I I lead them and guide them to the best way? What can I do to help them accomplish the God destiny for their life? How can I anoint them? How can I direct them? How can I fill them with wisdom? How can I fill them with knowledge? How can I fill them with love? God's thoughts for you are good thoughts. They're wholesome thoughts. They're thoughts that will build you up, not tear you down. How incredible is that? That we can't even start to number the number of thoughts that God has got for us that are positive and amazing. And yet, so often, We're running away from God rather than running to God. What's that all about? I remember when I was a little kid, I used to love Donald Duck cartoons. How many of you like Donald Duck cartoons? You like Donald Duck cartoons? I try to do the Donald Duck impersonation. That's my attempt at Donald Duck. Esther like that right at the back there. So, uh, so little kids get my Donald Duck impersonation. But I, I remember this cartoon with Donald Duck is running away from this important looking man. And so the whole cartoon is about running away because in his mind, Donald thinks that this guy has got a fine for him, has got a penalty notice for something that he's done wrong. And so he spends his, he spends the whole cartoon running away. And, and the whole cartoon is funny because of the places he hides at. But then finally, this important man corners Donald Duck and hands him the papers that he's running away from. And rather than being a penalty, he finds out it's an inheritance. Ah. And so... We are just so similar to Donald. We're running away from God thinking that God has got this penalty to give us when in actual fact he's got blessings to pour in our lives. Come on, it's, it's time to stop running away from God and start running to his arms because he's always thinking about you, how he can bless you, how he can prosper you, how he can take you to the next level of abundance in your life. God is a good God and he's thinking good thoughts about you. Got to get it right, get the right God concept. Second, third, third thing that God can't do. What was the first thing that God can't do? Make a promise. What's the second thing God can't do? Stop thinking about you. Here's the third thing that God can't do. He can't remember your past sins. You can, but he can't. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake and I will not remember your sins. You think about that. I need for you to stop and contemplate this. Because whatever you've done in the past for which you have asked God to forgive you. So forgiveness is the key thing. You've got to ask God to forgive you because once he's forgiven you, he's blotted it out. He's removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west is what it says in Psalm 103. In Micah chapter 7, it talks about God putting your sins into the depths of the sea. And I love what someone once said, that when he puts them into the depths of the sea, he also puts a sign above saying, no fishing allowed. How many of you are living under the guilt and shame of your past mistakes? How many of you are still defining yourselves by past mistakes? We've got people in our church that have been to jail. Maybe some of you are still here um, in this service that you've been to jail. If you've asked God to forgive you, he can't even remember why you went to jail. He can't even remember what, the, what it was. You say, what? When you ask him, he can say, I can distinctly remember forgetting that. And so you've got to understand that God does not see you through your mistakes. God does not define you by your past. God does not see what you were. He sees what you can be. And so what happens with us too often is that we put a filter between us and the mirror And the filter is our past mistakes and our past inabilities. When God sees you, he puts a filter between you and him. And the filter is Jesus. And when he looks at you, he sees not at what you used to be, but what you can be. And he's thinking, how can I help you come into this? How can I help you come into this? so many of you are living life by every single negative word that's been spoken over your life. Some of you are still being haunted by the words that were spoken to you as a child growing up. You're such an idiot. You're so stupid. You can never do anything. You're going to be a failure. You were just useless. You are hopeless. I want to say to you in the name of Jesus, bring those words to naught because God has wiped those words out and the words that he speaks over your The life a life and truth. God's words for you are hopefulness, not hopelessness. Too many people are carrying guilt and shame from their past. And all that that is, is a weight and a burden that keeps you bowed down. Bowed down. Bowed down. It's time to let it go. It's time to see yourself as God sees you, forgiven, washed, set free, a new person, a new life. I love that. that's what Jesus came to do. He came to separate you from your past and give you a new life. He says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. He's the source of all life. He's the source of new life. He's the source of abundant life. He is the source of eternal life. Jesus is the life source for your life. Come on. How many of you think that's a great word to get into your spirit? it's prophetic for some of you to hear that word because you're living a life of death that's based in your past failures, in past sin, in past disappointment. Your past is under the blood. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. It means this, that when Jesus died upon the cross, he shed his blood to wash you and cleanse you and separate you as far as possible from all of your sins and all of your mistakes. And so when we say your past is under the blood, we're saying it's under the most powerful force in the universe, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon the cross to separate you from your sins. And now you are declared to be holy and righteous and sin-free, not through my word, but through his word that can never lie. You have to live in that consciousness because that is the God concept that God wants you to grab hold of. He can't break a promise. He can't stop thinking about you. He can't remember your past sins. Number four, he can't stop loving you. He can't stop loving you. He can't stop loving you. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That word everlasting means eternal it means from vanishing point to vanishing point. Matter of fact, when you read the Hebrew translation of everlasting, it uses vanishing point as, as, as a translation. That vanishing point is when you try to focus, you can't see the end of it. It just keeps moving on and on and on and on. And it's vanishing point in every direction. So if you go east, it's vanishing point. If you go west, it's vanishing point. If you go up, it's vanishing point. Down, it's vanishing point. It's like it's like it's so big that you can never reach the end of it. God says, that's the measure of my love. So here's the question. So if the measure of God's love is everlasting, can God increase his love for you? How many of you know what the answer to that question is? You can't increase everlasting. You can't add to eternal. It's, it's the biggest number that there is. But how many people are working hard to try to get God to love them more? How many, of you, how many people think that the more they do, the more God will love them? How many people think that that the more work you do, the more God will love you. It's a fallacy. It's a wrong concept. God already loves you with everlasting love. And it's got nothing to do with what you do. It's got everything to do with who you are. You're his child. So because you're his child, he loves you with an everlasting love. It's got nothing to do with what the child does. You know, Pastor Drew just had Little River yesterday and he's already in love with her but you know the point is this that little river can't do anything for drew she can't make him a cup of tea she can't make him a sandwich little river is just sitting there and she'll cry and she won't even smile yet but he already loves her what's all that about it's because she's his daughter but he's only met her yeah but it's his daughter so He loves her. It's like she doesn't have to do anything. He loves her because of the relationship. Can you get that? That's just a tiny little illustration of who you are to God. Because you're his child, he loves you. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. And so you've got to rest in that. Enjoy that. Live in that. And just not feel condemned all the time that you're not doing enough, that you're not, you know, good enough, that you're not hard working hard enough and all that enough 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 to try to merit God's love. It's there for you. He can't stop loving you. Jesus gives this amazing parable. It's called the prodigal son. And it's an amazing parable because it sort of humanizes the love of the father. And the parable is about a son who walks out on dad and he chooses to do his own thing. And so what you've got in this parable is the power of free will. And so in this parable, and you know it very well, the parable of the prodigal son. It's found in Luke 15. The son chooses to walk out on father, chooses to squander all the good things that father has given him on loose living and ends up in a mess. But the parable is also about the love of the father. Because even though the son makes shocking choices bad choices choices that are offensive the father never stops loving that's the power of this parable it's like you might be away from home you might be doing the messy things but father never stops loving and so when the day comes the son makes up his mind man i've just blown this big time what a- idiot I am how stupid am I man even the servants in my father's house are doing better than I am what is going on I tell you what I'll do I'll I'll go back and and just beg my way in and just say look I'm not even worthy to be a son I'm just happy to be a servant just if just just to be in the house I'm happy still did not have the God concept that was right and what a shock that he had That as soon as he came within sight of Father, we see Father running, running. What an incredible thing to see Father God running. Not with a big stick. You evil son, I'm going to whip you. I'm going to smack the stuffing out of you. No, no, it's running to do what? To kiss him. To fall on his neck and kiss him but the son had done all sorts of bad things didn't stop the father loving the son walked out of the house that's his choice but it didn't stop the father loving and when he came home repented it was like hey let me separate your sins as far as the east is from the west let's let's give you full forgiveness Total, but I'm not worthy. Surely I've got to do things to merit love. No, you've all, you're my son. I love you. I love you. Here's the robe. Here's the ring. Here's the fatted calf. Here's the sandals. Here's the inheritance. But, but, but I squandered it. Well, I can't even remember you doing that. Haven't we forgiven? Haven't we talked about that? Let's not look back. Let's look forward. Let's put on a party. Let's dance. Let's rejoice that my son that was lost is now found. And that's my joy. That's. The Father's love. And that's the God concept that you need to get into your spirit. That God does not stop loving you. Number five. Here it is. And I'm nearly finished. He will never abandon us. He can't break a promise. He can't stop thinking about you. He can't remember your past sins. He can't stop loving you. And he will never abandon you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5, very powerful. It's got this little phrase at the end of it in the King James or the New King James that says, God will never leave us nor forsake us. You know what? Just that that would be enough. Just to have it written, God will never leave us nor forsake us. But I love how the Amplified puts it because the Amplified is a translation that tries to get into the deeper meaning of the word in the original language of what it means, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so this is what it says in the Amplified, and I love this translation. It says, for he God himself said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not. I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. Absolutely not! Hello? Does that give you the meaning of the text? I will not leave you nor forsake you? It's like, man, this is underlined! Exclamation mark. I want to read it again. For he, God himself, said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any way, in any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not! Come on, get hold of this. People may abandon you. Friends may abandon you. Your kids may abandon you. Your parents might abandon you. Your spouse might abandon you. Some of you have gone through abandonment from a spouse. Some of you are divorced here, and you felt what it's like to have someone break the covenant of marriage when they said until death do us part, but they made a decision. No, I'm not waiting until death. I'm waiting until now, and I'm out of here. I don't want uh, this old deal. I want a new deal, and you've been abandoned. But you know what? God will never do that to you. He will never abandon you. He will never walk out on you. You might walk out on God, but he won't walk out on you. You might abandon him, but he won't abandon you. Why is that? Because he is forever faithful. He is forever faithful. That's his character, faithfulness, faithfulness. See, in so many relationships, it is so conditional on, I'll only be with you if it is good for me. God's attitude, I'm going to be with you because that's who I am and you're my child and I'll never let you go 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 I want to tell you something that so many people go through life feeling abandoned from God but that's not the case he hasn't abandoned you So many people cry themselves to sleep at night because they feel that they're totally alone but I want to say to you you're not alone God is there God is there you know So many of you have got footprints in the sand, that beautiful little poem at home. And uh, it's, it's, it's all about the times when you felt most alone and you look back and you only saw one set of footprints. And the poem is, yeah, there was only one set of footprints because that was the time I was carrying you. And, uh, and the fact is that that's the heart of God. He will never abandon you. And even when you feel alone, he's carrying you. He's there because that's the heart of God. See, the, what I'm sharing with you are accurate God concepts. The opposite are wrong God concepts that do not come from the word of God. What I'm sharing with you are accurate God concepts that do come from the word of God. And so what you need to do today is align your thinking to these God concepts so that you get an accurate concept of God. One of the things that Jesus tried to do when he came to this planet was to give people an accurate God concept because the scribes and Pharisees, their God concept was totally wrong. And he's God manifest in the flesh. He's Jesus coming to this planet as God manifest in the flesh, demonstrating the true heart of God, and they crucified him because it was so different to their God concept. Jesus did not comply to their God concept. If he did, they wouldn't be crucifying him. He was so opposite to their God concept, but they were wrong. He was manifesting God because he was God. In the flesh. And so the way that Jesus treated people is the way God treats people. The way Jesus embraced the down and outs, the way Jesus embraced the women, the children, the lepers, the sick, the destitute, the way that Jesus embraced even the thief on the cross at his crucifixion, promising that this day he would be with him in paradise. That's Just one word of repentance was all that Jesus needed. One word of repentance and there was this embrace. There was this acceptance. Come on, that's the God concept that you need to grab hold of. Not this, I've got to crawl on a sea of glass and I've got to do penance and I've got to say this and I've got to do that and I've got to work in order for God to half accept me. No! As you come the way you are with a repentant heart you will be accepted the arms will be open the door will be open the table is already prepared your name is already there the meal has been prepared come and sit at table with father because he loves you with an everlasting love Come on. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials.